LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen. Morning, everybody. Steve Allen here on this lovely Sunday morning. Coming up at six, I'm in conversation with musical extraordinaire, what a talented guy, Tim Minchin. We'll be talking about taking London by storm with his Matilda musical and Olivier Award winner Jill Halfpenny, who's currently performing in Abigail's Party about her success on Strictly. But for the next hour, you get to hear my best bits from last week. Sad news, isn't it, about Robin Gibb? I know you've been talking about it all night. And uh, I, I was just reminded, for those people who came in late in the Bee Gees career, that there was so much more to them than Saturday Night Fever. Saturday Night Fever was that... that let's see, look at me starting already. Uh, Saturday Night Fever was, was the album that brought the Bee Gees back, as it were. Uh, up until then, they'd been happily trotting along, you know, turning out the, uh, the albums for the fans. But nothing hit as big as Saturday Night Fever. That, that album launched them all over again, and that's when they started writing songs for the likes of Barbara Streisand, Dionne Warwick. They all had resurgences in their career. Up until then, the Bee Gees, as I say, were just like any other album... Uh, group from the 70s. I mean, one of their best was Cucumber Castle, which, strangely enough, I purchased as a Christmas present for somebody a short while ago. I found it on Amazon and paid, like, 20 quid for it. And it was worth every penny, because it smelt like an album should smell. And some of their early stuff was really, I mean, really good. It almost, I thought, made Saturday Night Fever pale, but that was the album that brought them back, and that was the album that, that relaunched the boys again. But they had so much tragedy in the family. Andy Gibb, of course, dying he had his problems with uh, with drugs. Uh, Morris as well, who uh, again lost his life far too young. Now, now we've lost uh, the latest one at only sixty two. Just literally a matter of days after Donna Summer died at the age of sixty three. Barry must be sitting there with the rest of the family. They're a very strong family. They are very very family orientated. They very much you know they they ha- they've lent their house to Tony Blair before now over in Florida. He's used their house before because the the family have this one house where they all go back to. So. There'll be lots of uh, lots of good memories, I should imagine, for, for Robin Gibb, who for many was the voice together with Barry. I mean, I know it seems strange, doesn't it? But when I think of all the, the hit singles, uh, it was Robin who was able to hit the falsetto bits and it was Barry who did all the other bits. And then he started doing, ha, 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 staying alive, staying alive. And there was a lot of, uh, lot of vibrato going on. But uh, either way, he's, uh, he's finally found some peace, which I should imagine over the last few months must have been a nightmare for him. And, uh, and for anybody else going through things like that, it's not easy. It does come as a blessed relief at the end where you think, you know, it's finally... T- Just when you think that he's going to get through it, it's most people with sort of cancer, you do get that. You get that a lot. You get people who sort of who pull through and you think, oh, they're, they're better. And then all of a sudden they take a downward turn. And that was it. He hadn't been able to speak for the last uh, week or so. And he was just communicating by flickering his, uh, his eyelashes. But uh, either way, blessed relief for him. Sadness for his, uh, his lovely wife and the kids. But uh, they will get through it. They are strong. And at least it gives you the opportunity to go check out their early stuff. You know, you don't have to check out Saturday Night Fever. There's loads of... Check out Cucumber Castle as an album. I play it constantly. I absolutely love it. Uh, apart from that this morning... Uh, we had a very nice time at the Lady Rattlings yesterday at the Royal Garden Hotel. My God, I'd, I had fish I've never had before. Brill. Have you ever had brill before? God, it was delicious. It was absolutely wonderful. So we had that and met some lovely, lovely people. And so I'll tell you about that a little bit later on. Plus, who has been named the the rudest store in Britain? Which magazine have been out? And they've obviously done an undercover survey. They've been into various stores and uh, and they've sort of tried to find out, you know, what, what the staff are like in there. Who is the rudest store in this country? Let me tell you, scoring only 51 out of a, out of 100, 
For which magazine? It's Halfords. Halfords get the big uh uh-uh right down the middle, I'm afraid. Hotly followed by W.H. Smith's. I can testify to that. Halfords, I I don't really have much... um, much much to do with Halfords at all. I've been there and bought little bits and pieces. But the staff... I mean, generally speaking, I tend to find the staff in those sort of stores... I don't know if they don't look on it as a proper job or if they just really couldn't give a toss. It's 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 a bit of a fine line as far as I'm concerned. You go into a store, you want... You know, it's different if you go into a supermarket, you've got to buy stuff. If you go into Halfords, you know, you're expecting the, the people behind the counter to sort of know something about what they're selling. And they do. It's just that they have a lax... You know, I've, I've, I've been served by people in Halfords who've carried on a conversation with their colleagues while they're serving you. I'm, I'm all, you almost feel like saying, I'm a bit superfluous to your, uh, to your relationship, aren't I? You know what you really feel like doing? You feel like being served, going, thank you. Walking out the store, then walking back in five seconds later with a full film crew going, these two... Rude little so-and-sos have just carried on talking all the way through. You know, when we had it in Greg's a short while ago, and Greg's wrote to me and said, look, let us know which staff it is and we'll deal with it. And I said, no, they'll, they'll be aware by now. People know, you know, when you've got managers in stores, they go in there and they look and they watch. Uh, the other place that uh, really doesn't score very highly is Pound Stretcher. Now, I think we've got Poundland. They're all much of a muchness, aren't they? Poundland, Pound Stretcher, 99p store. They're all selling cheap stuff. And so I shouldn't imagine the staff in there really couldn't care less. Why would they care less? It's only a pound. You're going in there to buy something. What difference does it make to them? They don't own, it's only people who own the stores that are going to be nice to you. Uh, also, one here I've never heard of, Brantano. Is it Brantano? I don't even know what that is. Must be a store up north or something. Black's. What's that? I've never even heard of that. I don't even know what these stores are. No idea at all. Tesco, hiking. Oh, God. BHS apparently doesn't score very well. Tesco doesn't score very well at all. Isn't that funny? I thought they'd have been, been quite good. Top of the shops. What's number one? What do you reckon? Lush. Oh, no. M&S aren't even in the list, I'm afraid. <laughs> They're not even in the list. Lush, which is owned by uh, Mark Constantine, as you know. I've known Mark for about the last... Pfft, 30 years, when they had cosmetics to go, and uh, and now they've got uh, Lush. Second, John Lewis. You can understand that, can't you? I tell you what I've discovered. Where did I go the other day? And they've started saying hello to you when you walk in. I went into somewhere the other day, and I'm thinking, that's the second time I've walked in, and somebody said hello, and you turn around and go, hello, where the dickens did I go? I must have gone somewhere, somewhere that was sort of a bit unlikely, where people say hello to you, and I wasn't sure if it was new company policy. Third is Apple. People like Apple. Because you go in there and there's lots and lots of assistants just trying to find one to serve you is the big problem because they're all sort of touched. Should I get somebody for you? Hello. They're all a little bit sort of buzzy-buzzy for me. Lakeland. I don't know if you've ever shopped in, in Lakeland. Online, they're the best company I've ever dealt with. Lakeland Plastics. I mean, they're just... They must employ ladies and gentlemen of a certain disposition who are just polite to deal with. I mean, they really are lovely. Um, electrical store Clarks, which I'm assuming is shoes. Richer Sounds. They're always quite good, aren't they? Uh, Disney Store, underneath Richard Sounds, Ikea, good God, really, and uh, and Morrison's. But it's Lush that scores best. Worst is Halford's. Because I think, you know, good service should be applauded. If ever you had a, a nice time in a store, you should say to somebody, you were really pleasant. Thank you very much. But they'd be so surprised. I'm not really sure. I went out, what did I go to buy? Some, I went to buy something. Oh, I bought some more eye cream. Decided to get a bit carried away and buy some more eye cream. And... Um, I did that, and we had cyclists all going through Twickenham the other day. There were loads of people, loads of cyclists, there were loads of fit people, because I think yesterday there was a triathlon taking place around our uh, uh, area. And for the first time ever this morning, in ages, we had a police car. 
in Leicester Square. First time I've seen one in a long time. I looked at it this morning, I thought, oh, that's nice. A bit like having sort of an escort. Uh, Halfords in the countryside tend to have experienced mountain bikers. You think so? Well, they, they, I mean, where, where do people go now to, to buy bikes? Do they go to Halfords or do you, do you buy them on the internet because they're actually cheaper? I don't know. I have no idea. I just know that a load of people go in and they uh, and they look around. I mean, I looked around Halfords, um, and, but I've never found anything to buy. You know, they've got strange things in there. It wouldn't surprise me if they're, if they're one of the next sort of casualties on the high street. I don't know why. I just get the feeling that they're, they're, they're sort of... We've got some big Halford stores, some little ones. And I think, how many people want to go in there for an air freshener? I'm, I'm not absolutely certain whether or not it's, it's, it's doing the best that it could. Uh, so we'll talk about that this morning. We'll talk about Robin Gibb as well, if you're a fan as well. And I'm also a bit shocked by the people selling their Olympic torches. You know, you'd have thought you'd have wanted a piece of history. All the people out there who uh, who sort of got the opportunity, the thousands of them, to actually own one of these things. Why would you want to sell it? Some bloke said, oh, I had to do it because I'm really hard up. They cost 500 quid to make. And uh, the, the runners get the chance to buy them for £215. Although those who won their places through sponsors, like Coca-Cola, were given them for free. Apparently, people have flooded the internet with, you know, who are these people? Why were they chosen? If they're just in it for the money, just flogging things. It's disgraceful. It's an absolute lack of respect for everything that it all stands for. Cheap little so-and-sos. But, of course, if you're desperately hard up, and this thing could make even a thousand quid, that's a thousand quid you never had before. Some bloke said, I've tried putting it on the mantelpiece, it doesn't look right. I thought, you cheap little so Oh, God. My wife just had a baby. Well, you should have thought about that. What were you sort of planning on having the baby around the Olympic torch? Oh, good. I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll have a baby, get her pregnant, and then hopefully I'll be picked out for the Olympic torch so we can flog it and survive. Of course not. Ridiculous, isn't it? Absolutely ridiculous. Drives me mad. Uh, we'll take your nominations for best Bee Gees song as well. Uh, uh, Melody Fair. Melody. Because they did the soundtrack to the... Uh, to the film Melody, which had Mark Lester in. Great film. That's the one that's got... When I was small and Christmas trees were tall. Da, 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 da. It's a lovely, lovely... It's a super film. It's about little children falling in love. It's beautiful. It's at Mark Lester and a little girl whose name I can't remember, but a lady wrote to me ages ago, and she was in the movie. She was actually in the movie because they used ordinary kids. It was lovely. It, it really was. I, I think it was also called Sealed with a Loving Kiss, uh, kiss Swalk, S-W-A-L-K. Great film. It's available. It's not very expensive at all, but worth worth getting, if only for the BG soundtrack. And, uh, oh, it's just wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Uh, everybody else the other day was waiting for an Olympic torch runner. What did they get? Somebody who'd shoplifted from the co-op, hotly pursued. They were running down the road holding a bottle of rosé. Luckily, they were caught. Love it when they catch shoplifters. Bang them up, that's what I say. Kev says, The trouble with our country, Steve, is that nobody seems to look upon a job in retail as a proper job. I've been in retail all my life. Well, it's more of a way of life, in my opinion. He's an old-school milkman. It's true. When I worked in retail, when I was back, when I was 15, and I worked in retail, we looked on it as a proper job, not a stopgap. I mean, as it turned out... You know, in, in, I've explained this before. The analogy is, go to Italy, go to any uh, European country and have a look at the people working in restaurants. Some of them can be 50, 60, 65, because they look at it as a career. They don't think it's just some sort of stopgap. That's why all the staff that you get in Starbucks and Cafe Nero, they're using Polish girls, Czechoslovakian girls, because they look at it as a career. 
They seriously... I mean, I've known no end of girls go from Starbucks, just, just sort of serving coffee, to being a manageress or a manager, and they look on it as a career. Over here, I mean, they have got... I mean, I don't want to be rude, but I'm going to have to be, I'm afraid. They, they, they swapped one of our girls in our Starbucks for a guy from Teddington. So we lost this girl. Middle English, a bit ditzy, a bit ditzy. Hello, Steve. Morning. What did you like? You know, a little bit sort of over the top. And so they swapped it, and we've got an English bloke. Now, I'm sure he's perfectly pleasant, but frankly, there's no, there's no enthusiasm. Whereas all the girls, morning, morning, him, nothing, blank, blank. And I said to the manager, I said, you know, I bet you won't last. You know, because you've got to put your heart and soul into it. And, you know, if you don't want to do it, then we'll often let somebody else do it properly, because they'll do it much, much better. Jessica. Um, yeah, good morning, Steve. Morning. Um, I agree with you, I can't believe it. I, I mean, I do a lot of shopping online, like we all do, because it's convenient for, for your lifestyle. So if I'm making an effort to go and shop, I'm, I'm putting aside a time, you know, a part of time that I could be doing something else. Mm. So I very much expect certain standards to be met. And they include, you know, I've made an effort to show up, so at least make an effort to sort of welcome me. Yeah. Um, I demand that. Um, and I am quite sort of... I'm not, a, I'm not an awful shop. I'm not someone that will kick off for no reason. But if I'm going into a, a high-end shop, Mm. where probably I'm going to spend maybe £100, then I want to be approached fairly quickly mm. so that, you know, the shopkeeper, you know, the, the shop assistant can ascertain what it is that I want, what helps you can be, and that's where your sort of transaction with the shop begins. Yeah, I mean, I mean to be honest with you, at the same time, I'm, I'm not looking for subservience. I'm not looking <laughs> for anybody to bow and scrape. I'm just looking for somebody who's polite, who's got a nice smile. And also, it, it's, it, it's, part, it's called customer service. Exactly. The whole idea is you go into a store, if you have a nice experience in John Lewis or wherever it happens to be, you go back there because somebody will say to you, what was, what was it like? And you go, actually, it was, it was nice. If you have a bad experience, you go, we're not going there again. Well, let's take a break from evaluating customer service in our high street shops. Coming up in a mo, I'll be talking about the problem of childcare in this country and what I'd do if I were Prime Minister. LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen. LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen. Welcome back. We started Tuesday off this week talking about proposed changes to the childcare system. But first, we had to welcome back our favourite little pop stars. Oh, Little Mix is still... I can't believe they're still going. I can't believe Little Mix is still going. It's a little bit worrying. Oh, they've launched a limited edition M&M. That's, that's the best that they can get. They can't get anything in the, uh, in the music industry going. So they've launched M&Ms. Haven't we got a big place over here which is devoted to M&Ms? M&M World. It's a bit sad. It's a, sorry. Whole, a whole shop devoted to sweets. Couldn't quite get, get to grips with it at all, I'm afraid. It's London. I mean, you know, the whole idea of sweets are bad for you. Don't eat sweets. I got stopped the other day by a lady in Twickenham, who I know. And she runs a nursery for children, quite clearly. You know, sometimes you can have nurseries for adults. I had to point that out in case you weren't aware of it. But there are nurseries for adults as well. They're called babies. Baby sort of nurseries, but they're... Adult babies. Anyway, she looks after young children for women who go out to work. Very shortly, because there is an influx of children all over the place who need looking after, the government and local councils are going to relax the rules. 
And what they're going to do is they're going to make it easy for just about anybody, and I mean anybody, to set up as a childminder. At the moment, they're registered. At the moment, they have to be licensed, their premises have to be checked. But uh, if this comes in, which uh, at the moment they're actually talking about, and it, it, it might... It's going to open the floodgates for a lot of people putting their children with somebody who is unregistered, unchecked. They'll have had no police check or anything like that. They'll just be able to open up with a sign on the door saying, you know, leave your children here for the day. Give us 20 quid a day or whatever it happens to be. And she was worried that the standards will drop and there will be cases which put children in jeopardy. And she's absolutely right. Parents now, and I know it's not cheap. Because a friend of mine, I used to have a producer, and she used to have to put her son into into daycare. And it was blooming expensive, but he was in there from eight in the morning till about four in the afternoon. That's a long time. I mean, I, I, to be honest with you, I cannot remember what she paid. Whatever it was, it seemed like a small fortune. A small fortune. And I see parents looking at places, and some entrepreneur, like people who open up, you know, um, care homes... You tend to find that people open up care homes because there's so much money in it. There's so much money. And, you know, £700 a week is not unusual for a care home. It really isn't. So these people have, you know, they buy these big old houses, have them all done up, and it's a care home. We had a big one on Twickenham Green. It's just been opened up now, or it will be very shortly, as retirement homes. That's roughly the same kind of thing. They've done it very well. It, it does. I mean, compared to the last thing that was there, this one looks stunning. It really does look very, very good indeed. But again, it will have a matron or somebody on site, but there'll be individual little flats and then probably a common room, I should imagine. That's how I thought it was going to be. That's how I thought it was going to be. But it's very expensive. It's not cheap. And that's why mums will then go, right, well, so wait a minute. So it's £40, say, a week here. But this one's doing it for £20 because people will undercut, but they won't have been checked. And her worry is... You know, that there's going to be lots of unscrupulous people who are just going to be setting up just to make a quick buck. They couldn't care less about the children. They're only interested in the money. Whereas some people are actually interested in the children. And so she said, how do we get sort of publicity for this? And I said, well, you go to the farmer's market on a Saturday, set up a table there in the car park. I don't know if you have to check with the council whether you can do that. And then hand out leaflets so that mums are aware that they should only go to places. But you're going to get all these other mums coming in, aren't you? And they've got kids and they just want to dump them on it. They couldn't care less what it costs. The cheaper, the better. And that's why it's terribly dangerous. And some families now are being denied access to free nursery education unless they agree to pay compulsory top-up fees for extra hours. The PAC, which is the Public Accounts Committee, has now raised concerns that some families are being told they're eligible only if they pay for additional hours. You know, I mean, and these, these practices risk excluding poorer families from nurseries because they can't afford to go. We were coming back the other day. It's a, it's a dreadful, you know, indication of just how we sum people up. But there was two people who walked out the council offices yesterday. A young girl and, uh, and a young lad. And um, to be honest with you, you knew they were on benefits. They didn't have to say anything at all. You just knew she didn't have a coat. She didn't have a handbag or anything like that. She'd made no effort. He had a, you know, the permanent fag going, trousers halfway down his bottom. And you knew damn well that they were in there to collect benefits. They weren't in there for any other reason. They certainly didn't look like they were working, put it that way. And I said, I was talking to my friend Greg, we'd just come back from this walk. And I said, you know, if I was Prime Minister, I'd axe this benefit culture in this country. I said, what do you mean you're 23 and you're not working? You are now, pal. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, you got yourself pregnant. What's your problem, isn't it? 
Go back to your parents. Let your parents pay for it. You know, they were stupid enough to bring a child into the world and didn't explain about sex education. Let them pay. Let them pay. All these kids who hang around on the street, they're not working. I come through London in the early hours of the morning. Clubs are turning out. Admittedly, there is a club just by the Ritz. Well, practically every week the police are called. Can't be long before they lose their licence. It's just a disgrace with uh, cheap, tarty girls running across the road, men pursuing them. I mean, it's, it's really quite... It makes grabbing look almost normal, I'm afraid. And uh, you've got that going on. You think, do these people not work? How many of you, put your hands up, can actually afford to go out during the week? No, you go out Friday and Saturday. You don't go out during the week. Nobody does that because you've got jobs. These people obviously don't have jobs. And that's why we've got this sort of benefit culture. It's in Spain. We send benefits out to Spain. So the people who've lied through their teeth. There's another woman in the paper today. She was voted Mum of the Year because her husband died and she's looking after the kids. She's a benefit fraudster. She's been claiming benefit for the last two years. I've only just found out. In the paper every day we can go through this, can't we? This, this, this benefit culture. People who don't do anything at all for a living. People who don't contribute to the neighbourhood. They're just little girls' blouses. Give me money, give me money. No, no, no. I'd stop it immediately. I'd take great delight in sitting behind that bulletproof glass in the social services or whatever it is going, sorry? Benefit? No, no more benefits today. No, it's finished. Benefit finished last week. Sorry, we don't have any more benefit. How am I supposed to live? We have to go out and get a job. I can't get a job. I'm bipolar. Well, you better find something then, hadn't you? Must be something you can do. There's something everybody can do. It doesn't matter whether you're disabled. It doesn't matter. It makes no difference. Whatever sort of disability you've got, there is a job for you somewhere. There's something that you can do. You know, and these people go, oh, I can't work. Why? Oh, bad back. Well, find something where you can do it sitting down. You know, use your imagination. Don't be a thicko all your life, for God's sake. They're embarrassing. Steve, it's obviously footballers are really stupid. They even have to have children hold their hands and lead them out onto the pitch. I know, have you seen... They don't know where the pitch is. Uh, we, we, we're going to the pitch. Sorry? Going to the pitch. We're going to go and play on a piece of... Gra- oh, where, where, where's that? Get, get the kids. Get the kids. Lead them out. Come on, kids. Show, show, show the tall men with loads of money and not much brain where the pitch is. Thank you, Len. I like that one. I like that one a lot. It's my kind of place. We're going to talk about um, a, a, a new dating agency. It's not really a new dating agency. It's for sad, desperately lonely women to re- meet a sugar daddy. It's borderline prostitution because they both pay to be there. The women pay £40, the men pay £80 and they link them up. What sort of girl would want to go to a place like that? Even one of the girls said, it is a little bit like prostitution because what they're looking for is men to pay for them, men to buy, you know, meals and jewellery. That's called prostitution. Prostitution doesn't necessarily involve sex. Don't, you know, if, if you prostitute yourself, that's an act of sort of giving of yourself for money. It doesn't mean sex. So don't, don't ever get the wrong idea. What it means is that you've sold a service for money. You know, if, if you want to sit with me, money. That's where you get all the bars in Thailand, a lot of the bars in, in certain areas. You know, if a girl comes and sits with you, move like so fast. Because that's their, their big swindle with all the tourists. And the police support them. If you sit with a girl and she goes, I just want to be your friend, she does, but you're paying for her time. The moment she's sat down and orders some fizzy drink, you're paying for it. So the advice is don't ever sit down in a bar and let a girl come and sit next to you. Because the moment they sit down, and sometimes they're not girls, get my drift? Sometimes they are boys dressed as girls, okay? And a lot of men, when they've had a few drinks, can't tell the difference at all. They really can't. It was said a short while ago, they did a survey of the prostitutes in London's Mayfair. 80% of them... 80% were sex changes, and the men never realised. 
Isn't that sweet? What a lovely thought to think of. You know, you suddenly discover you're dating a big butch airy trucker, you know, without even realising it. So just be warned. Just be warned. Plus, I'd love to talk to some ladies this morning about cosmetics. How much do you spend on face cream? This is after Victoria Beckham has now started shoving all this gunk on her face because quite clearly she's so insecure and you can't... But One of the columnists said she can't be this insecure that she thinks Davy's going to up and leave her because she's starting to look old. She's only mid-30s. Only mid-30s. But she's putting, I think, sheep's placenta on her face with a bit of gold leaf. Oh, yuck. Well, some of your beauty techniques were quite unique. I stick with just a hot flannel myself, and of course I moisturise with my creme de la mer. Well, coming up after the news, I'll be giving you interviewing techniques and explaining how I can tell if somebody's bluffing it. But first, the latest headlines at 5.30. LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen. LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen. Welcome back. In half an hour, I'll be talking to comedian Tim Minchin about working with Andrew Lloyd Webber and Jill Halfpenny, who thinks her roles in our favourite soap have helped her have a very successful career. But first, how do you conduct a good interview? Yesterday, it was my misfortune to turn on The One Show with, uh, with the ex-Blue Peter presenter and the girl that they're trying to make something out of, but, I mean, frankly, it's going nowhere. Little Alex Jones from Wales, poor soul. And they had on Melvin Bragg, and they were so out of their depth, I was cringing for them, because they were, sh- they were both doing the, oh, we're really interested, oh, we're really... But yet they didn't have the faintest idea what he was talking about. He was, he was plucking names out of the air, and you could tell by looking at Matt Baker, as his eyes glazed over, that he didn't have the faintest idea what they were both doing, and she was doing as well, was what I call a sycophantic, brown-nosing interview. You know, oh, it's so great, it's lovely to see it back again. And so he, he threw a few names in. And he was, I think he was actually testing them. I found it an immensely fascinating experience where he sort of threw something in and was waiting for some sort of reaction. And, of course, because they didn't know what he was talking about, their heart must have dropped when they went, you've got Melvin Bragg on. Oh, about that. I mean, she was so out of her depth. She just sat there with a big smile on her face trying to sort of do the cutesy thing. And they couldn't wait to finish the interview. It was so hilarious. So hilarious. So in future, producers, more of the funny interviews, please, where we could watch your two presenters squirming because they hadn't got the faintest idea about anything that Melvin Brack was talking about. They could only sort of... She, she said we had a little clip of this and that. And it was nothing to do with what he was talking about. I don't know why they bothered. It was hilarious. I love programmes like that. Very, very funny. Uh, other stories... Oh, my Lord above. Oh, dear me. Oh, sorry. There's a, a picture in the, in the Daily Mirror today, acting. And, um, and it's a woman here who's dated more than 50 married men, but she says... I don't steal husbands, I borrow them for a bit. Now, I don't want to be rude to this woman, because my mum said, if you haven't got anything nice to say about anybody, pop it on a postcard. But by God, if she can pull, there's hope for every one of you. I'm telling you, you've never seen anything like it. This creature, this, this woman here, Karen Marley, is a self-confessed serial mistress. Dear God. I mean, if, if you get an opportunity, pick, a, pick up a copy of the Daily Mirror and you'll be writing and going, you're so right. I mean, I wouldn't say it if it wasn't true. And, um, and she's talking here. She says, I'm the perfect mistress. The wives are the other women. Good God, there is hope for everybody. I mean, no matter what you look like, ladies and gentlemen, if this woman can pull 50 married men, you can pull too, OK? 
Just remember, there's somebody for everybody. Except you. Yes, you. I'm talking to you. Except you. There's nobody for you at all. Uh, Morel says, I saw the Melvin Bragg interview. He really took the mickey and made them look as stupid as they obviously are. Very funny. It is true. I mean, it was, it was so funny because I know, because I'm, an, I'm a professional, I'm an expert, I know when somebody's doing what I call a flannel interview. In other words, they've got no idea what the person is on about in front of them because they haven't bothered to do any research. In fact, they've actually done them a bit of a disservice. And they sit there going, oh, it's great. And, and then they ask what I call standard questions like, so how's, how's your day gone? You know, tell us about the latest production you're in. That's always a fairly common one. And, uh, and they, they fell flat on their fat bottoms yesterday, I'm afraid. It was a, it was a shame. Um, uh, Craig, thank you. Yes. Actually, if you're a young person, or not even a young person, actually, can you remember, ladies and gentlemen, how you got your first job? What was your first job? And how easy was it to get? Because they say now half a million young people are finding it difficult to actually get work uh, amid changes to the type of skills that firms require. Now... I'm not sure whether or not qualifications are much use to you in this day and age. I'm firmly of the opinion, I know you have to get a standard of education at school, but quite clearly, you know, if you're going to be one of those people who hangs around nightclubs looking for footballers, the fact you've got six A-levels is of no interest to anybody whatsoever. The fact you might actually be able to hold a conversation about, you know, tiling, brickwork and, uh, and money laundering is fair enough. But anything else is just going to bore the pants off them. So I begin to wonder whether or not it's actually worthwhile having qualifications. Or, if you do, as I said years ago, you go to a company. I mean, they don't. if, if you're going for a job in Starbucks, they're not going to go, and, and what, what A-levels have you got, are they? They're interested. Do you look presentable? Are your shoes clean? You know, are your fingernails, you know, tidy? Because you're on, you're on show to the public. That's what they're looking for. If you're going to be a dancer in a show, you have to have the ability to dance. That's why they pick them. And so now they're saying that uh, firms require different skills. So now they've said there's a major increase in the number of 16 to 24-year-olds who were not switching from education to the world of work. And uh, they say 450,000 youngsters in England have no experience of sustained paid employment beyond casual and holiday work. Because that's what they get. The whole idea, I thought, if you actually got holiday work, is then it goes on to a, a job afterwards. I thought that was that was how it worked. The funny thing is, when I started work, it didn't make any difference at all what qualifications you had. Nobody asked my qualifications. And as far as I remember, there didn't appear, actually, to, um, to be any sort of job interview. I don't remember there being a job. I'm trying to cast my mind back. Very difficult, isn't it, when you get to a certain age, trying to remember what your first job was and how easy it was. I think I was just taken down there by, by my mum. I met the... Uh, I don't think they had an HR department. I must have met the, the department head. And then I started on the Monday. I went in, I think, on the Wednesday. And then started the following Monday. And that was it, working in a shop. I was a shop person. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. Couldn't get enough of it. Different in the early days, I suppose. Nowadays, it's a bit more cutthroat. And, uh, and people, people sort of find it difficult to mention. I was watching somebody in a store the other day. And I was thinking, I know roughly what you're earning. And it's probably great when you're young. But when you get a little bit older, it must be a bit difficult to sort of exist on it. But yet I used to work in a time when there were some, some quite elderly people working in the, uh, in the carpet department because people wanted experience. You know, I, I look at young people working in the clothing departments of, say, Bentles, where I was yesterday, and they work in, you know, Boss or wherever it is, leaning over counters. And I'm thinking, you're, you're probably about 22, 23. Is this the rest of your life? Is this it? You know, I, I begin to wonder 
you know, whether or not people see that as a career nowadays. Because there was one bloke leaning over the counter and he was just sort of, and his mate came over and he said, uh, they were talking about some girl they were going out with the, the, the following night. And that was the extent of it. There was no mention about the clothing at all. Because I don't think they know anything about the clothing. People just take an item over there and go, I'll have that please, mate. And you hand over a credit card. And they, they just do the trans. I mean, you could have a trained chimpanzee standing there. You don't actually need anybody because they appear not to know enough about stock or things like that. Uh, despite the uh, sunshine, says Daz, I've had a really miserable 24 hours, but you've had me smiling and laughing. There you go, you see, that's all we need at this time of the morning. And it's free. It's good news, isn't it? It's free. In sad news, we're losing another shop in Twickenham. The last shop I thought would have been going. And um, Brian says, re-QVC. Have you seen the extrovert fashion designer who looks like Prince and flogs clothing called Pampus? Do you know, I saw him yesterday. What? I, I didn't know what it was. I looked at this peculiar creation, and they've had some very odd people on QVC. <laughs> some very odd people. Mind you, on Ideal World, they've got some very odd people as well. When the experts come on, they've got some, some camp northerner who does nail varnish and shows you how to put on nail varnish and, he's, and sells his own nail files and everything else. There used to be a guy on the television, they used to use him on this morning, he used to do flowers, flower arranging. I've never seen anybody. It's only northerners who dress badly, and especially when they appear on the television. I don't know where they get all their all their clothes from, but they really are quite, quite dreadful. Quite dreadful. When I did Noel's uh, garden party some years ago, Noel Edmonds, we had a couple of uh, northern guys who were doing something in one of the marquees. And um, to be honest with you, I looked at the outfits they were wearing and I thought to myself, where'd you get these outfits from? Is there some naff shop or something? It was very strange. Very strange. But I was, I was reminded every time I see QVC or something like that, that there's always somebody there who's from up north and that was wearing dreadful clothes. They're still wearing the Mr Chow collars. You know, the little choo-chin Chow collars. But uh, I did see the extra fashion designer. I couldn't tell you what his name is, but he, he did look like a fat version of Prince. It was, it was quite... I looked at him thinking... Oh, and then I looked at some of the fashions. I thought, oh, dear, maybe not. Maybe not. So what age did you get your first job? I don't care what, old, what age you are now. What age did you get your first job? And how did you get it? Did your mum like in my case, take you down there and go and get the, the job for you? Is that how it works? Because it appears to me that it was a lot easier some years ago to actually walk into a company and say, have you got any jobs at the moment? And they go, actually, yes, we have, actually, yes. We're looking for uh, junior salesmen. And that's when you sort, of, you, you sort of go and get your job. <laughs> that's how it works. And then if you're good, you hang on to it. If you're rubbish, you don't hang on to it. So I'm, I'm very keen to find out at what age you got your job, and how long you hung on to it for. This is because young people are finding it very, very difficult to actually get a job at the moment. They're out there because the manufacturers demand it, because there's, there's more people to choose from. They've got more people out there. And with the influx of people in from Romania, Czechoslovakia, Poland, I mean, they, they, they can take their pick. They can take their pick. It's as simple as that. You know, yes, I got my coffee... And um, we had the English bloke back in there again. And there's no sort of, I don't know, there's no interactiveness. You know, you want interactive. It's almost like people are sort of very, very loath to, 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 to meet people. Very loath to actually engage in some kind of conversation. But it's, it's your jobs I want to know about this morning. If you work in retail, especially, because I thought that was great. Uh, Yogesh. 
who says, I believe identity fraud is the fastest growing crime because we rely on signatures on contracts, cheques, delivery notes, etc. Despite of knowing that in the event of crimes, these signatures don't even expose the person's gender. Yes, I used to, it used to make me laugh years ago. I'll, I only highlight this quickly for you and for everybody else. In the early days, they used to say, can you put your name and address on the back of the cheque? Assuming that if it was fraudulent, you were going to put your home address on. They used to say that, can you put your home in? I remember going into, a, into Lloyd's Bank in Twickenham. And signing my, my signature and the woman saying, I'm sorry, can you do it again? Three times I did it. To pr- I was only taking out 50 quid. I was so glad when eventually they gave me a card for the hole in the wall, the diddly-dip machine. I was very happy. And uh, so uh, your comments will be appreciated. It says the banks replace signatures with pins for card transactions, but yet rely on signatures on other transactions. Yes, I mean, well, I said the other day, checks are almost obsolete. I know people still have them. Uh, but you, you don't see them as often. I do have a checkbook. I have a large checkbook, actually. And, and I, I, I don't use it. Because everything I pay for, I pay for online. Which reminds me, I must pay my Joe Allen's bill. I, I reminded myself yesterday and I forgot about it. So I'm going to have to go and pay it this morning. But I, I shall do it. They'll be very pleased to see me. <laughs> Poor souls. I can't remember how much it is. Something like £80 or something ridiculous. So, um... So that's what it is now. So I'm looking for your first job. The first job that you had and how easy it was to get, you know, with a lots of people, you know, after the same job. Or was it just you? When I applied to LBC for my job here, I just made a little tape with the help of a friend of mine. And we lifted the bulletin, like you know, exactly the same as, you know, listen to the bulletin at five o'clock coming up. We recorded that. And then we took out the newsreader and substituted me. We just wrote down the words that he said and put my voice on there so that the company could hear me newsreading. So if you wanted to apply to LBC for, for, for a job as a newsreader, that's what you would do. They could just writing in saying, I'm a newsreader. Send them in something that they can hear, something that's tangible, so that they can then say, ah, that's what you sound like reading our bulletins. It's a good saying, it's five o'clock, this is you know, David Cameron, like he's the Prime Minister and he's like been... You know, you have to do it... In the style in which it's done. It's, it's a professional job. Anyway, quick break now, after which I bring you the news of the 50-stone-plus girl who had to be cut out of her house. LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen. LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen. Welcome back. Let's dive straight back in with the girl who has self-control issues. I'm not really sure what to do about this fat girl. I mean, she's been fat since she was 15... She's been to boot camp in America. She's been... She's had every bit of advice that could possibly be given to her. Now, far be it from me to say she's either ignorant, deaf, or just plain stupid, but she was on a diet which another specialist had given her. The trouble is, she sticks two fingers up to diets. She has to gorge herself on junk food. So 40 people... God knows who paid for this. We did, I suppose. 40 people... In the end... They have to demolish the wall of the house to get her out. What a pathetic state of affairs it is. She's been told, she's 19, that if she carries on eating, she'll be dead at 20. Quite clearly, she couldn't give a stuff. Quite clearly, she couldn't care less because she's abandoned another diet. Uh, you know, and, and we have to keep picking up the pieces. 
for this woman. And I don't really... I mean, obviously, wiring up her jaws isn't going to help. I mean, perhaps you just keep her well away. I mean, who's bringing the blasted food into her? Is this her stupid mother? Because she can't get out. She can't walk. So somebody quite clearly is taking... Now, we've had this issue before, and I'm sure it was with her as well. And we were saying, it's the people who are visiting her who are taking her in food. If there, if there isn't the food in the house, and they say, well, we haven't, we haven't got any chicken for you today, Poppet. We've got some soup. OK, you have some packet soup. I want bread. You're not having it. All right? You can sit there until you get off your fat bottom and get out the house and get some exercise. You just have packet soup. I want fruit. You can have a little bit of fruit, OK? Two strawberries. You know, the rest of it is going to be made up by medicine. Must be costing a fortune to keep her alive. I mean, she's done everything, and... She's just not, she's not taking anything on board. And of course, there's always the excuse, it's depression, it's this, it's because of that, it's because of this. Listen, everybody else goes through everything this girl has been through. We've all been through depression, we've all lost somebody, you know, some of us have lost more than most. And yet still she stuffs her face with junk food. Junk food, that's all it is. If she was eating healthy food like vegetables and carrots and nibbling on that, she'd be fine. But no, she wants to stuff her face with... Uh, on a typical day, she'll have a couple of loaves worth of sandwiches with jam or cheese or meat, five bags of crisps, two packets of chocolate bourbons, sponge cake, trifle, chocolate cake, four sausages, loads of mashed potato and beans for dinner, and fizzy drinks all day and all night. There's no point in us doing anything more for you, love. You quite clearly are on a self-destruct. They've done everything. I mean, you're 19 now, you've had five years of this advice from people, and you're still sticking to it. What more can we do? You know, it gets to the end of the road where you go, listen, just eat yourself to death then. That's obviously the thing that's going to make you happy. Because there were two doctors down there yesterday. useless. What are they there for? It's got nothing to do with social workers, how much she's stuffing in her face. It's to do with her. And it's the doctors. I mean, is it the social workers taking the food in? Because somebody's taking it in. We've had issues with social workers before. Little do-goodies, otherwise known as curtain twitchers a lot of the time. You know how many children have died at the hands of social workers because they failed to spot the signs. Not very happy with social workers at all. So they were all down there. Scaffolders, builders and firefighters. I mean, it's like, how many people does it take to change a light bulb in Wales? Answer, about 40. 40 people to get this heffalump out of a house... Because she can't get out. So I asked the question again. Who's taking the food in? If she's eating all this stuff... Uh, she says here, eating the wrong stuff has become a habit. No kidding. Really? Good Lord. I'd no idea of that. I mean, as we've said before, if you, if you work nights and it's an occupational hazard, she doesn't, she doesn't work. She can't even... It took her 20 minutes to get off the toilet. 20 minutes to get off the toilet. She said, and my knees were hurting. Well, stop eating. It's like, it hurts if I do that. Don't do that. Hurts if I do... Don't do that. I'm, I'm really getting fat. Stop eating. You know, so she's been to the boot camp. She's had all the advice. I think the trouble is she loves the attention. That's what's happened now. She's now become that sort of person. Oh, look, I'm famous because I've got all this coverage in the newspaper. No, you're just a fat lardy who's a waste of space. And you've just cost somebody... Presumably social blooming services whose resources are stretched at the best of times. A load of money. social. What on earth were they doing down there? Social workers. Social workers, not just one. Obviously in the plural. 
mean, yeah, I read a story earlier on that there's a lot of elderly people in Wales starving. Go round to this woman's house. She's got loads of food. She's got loaves of bread, beans, chocolate cake. She's got everything. Don't find fat pensioners, do you, nowadays? Can't afford to eat the rub. I don't know how she's even affording it. She doesn't work. The house looks, well, demolished at the moment because they've had to knock down a wall to get her out. God, I'm surprised the toilet took the weight. 63 stone. Is there a weight limit? Reminds me of Carry On At Your Convenience with Charles Hawtrey, who designed toilets. Oh, it's a housing association house. Oh, so she doesn't even pay for that either. Oh, blimey. Welcome to the world of freebie land, ladies and gentlemen. Just bring the food in, the fat bird will eat it. Come on, bring it in, bring... Because they have to stop that. But if, but if again, she's... I mean, if she's 19 now and she's 63 stone, she's unfortunately an addict to the media. Oh, look, pictures take... What do you picture take, darling? Oh, I, oh I'm, I'm... Should I do another boot camp on television? Should I just turn up on this morning? You know, perhaps they'll send a camera crew out. I mean, she did the boot camp TV show quite clearly. It didn't work, does it? Because here she is at 63 stone. She can't walk. So I ask the question again, where's the food coming from? People are bringing it in. You don't think it's social? Bring me food. Bring me food. Oh, thank you. It's a bit like Nikki, isn't it, from Big Brother? She'll be listening. She's been through. I can't make my eyeball. Oh, it's working. That classic line. But I mean, is she? She's on the front of two of the papers this morning. So well done, Georgia Davis. I mean, she's had organ failure. I didn't think that they could operate on somebody this fat. I thought there had to be. We've had cases before where sort of, you know, very, very fat. And she is clinically obese. It's not, you know, it's 63 stone. But as, as most of these people, they, they probably exaggerate about their weight. She could be anywhere between 55 and 60. Uh, not that it makes any difference when you get to that size. Either way, the strain on your heart. But that's why I didn't think that they, they could actually do operations. It took them hours to get her out. So in other words, I mean, if she had had organ failure, presumably it wasn't going to make any difference. They just sort of huffed and puffed and pulled her this way and pulled her that way. And eventually they demolished the wall to get her out. And then presumably she was shoved on the back of a, of a, of a dumper truck to get her into hospital. She can't fit in an ambulance, can she? Hardly any room in the back of ambulances. So in, in, so in a strange way, I feel a bit sorry for her. In, in another way, I'm thinking people around you are not helping you at all. They're really not helping you. <coughs> I mean, she was told to lose 20 stone. I mean, I, I don't even know where you get knickers that size. 60, 63 stone. I mean, I've looked at Marks and Spencers. They go as far as XXL. Where do you get knickers for a 63 stone woman? I mean, last year she says, I ate 12 Easter eggs. This year I just went for a walk. So she lost a bit of weight. I mean, she's still hugely obese. <coughs> and this was this was way back. This, uh, this is another woman, isn't it? Is this, is this, uh, uh, that's her, is it? Oh, right. So that was her after boot camp. So, of course, she's loving the publicity. Then she comes back and goes, I think I'll just eat again. So off she goes on another eating splurge. I mean, she says, I want to get fit. The only thing is I don't like, the only thing I don't like doing is walking. Well, quite clearly, dear. But you're going to die. I mean, I don't know how much more obvious it's got to be for you. It really is Gross. And also, it isn't just that, but it's all the bits that come along with it. You know, having to take a shower where you've got to lift up all the rolls of fat and shower underneath because you're going to get infections. And I know that because they did a programme on a circus. Ringling Brothers and uh, Barnum Bailey over in America. <clears throat> and they had the fat bloke who was able to sit there stark naked because it made he had so much fat it covered everything. And uh, they hosed him down for his shower of the day. 
they hosed him down because he had to lift up all the flesh and put cream underneath to stop any infection getting in and sores and stuff like that. You look at the mother and um, and you think somebody's taking food into this girl. I wonder if it's the mum. Because, I mean, quite clearly, they don't, they don't seem to be remotely interested in helping themselves. They've had every expert under the sun, every newspaper, every doctor has said, this is what you have to do. Yeah, yeah, do it for about five seconds. And then, of course, being the fat, lazy slob she is, she gives up. And so, she, you know, even at an early age. I mean, so it's, it's a shame. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm expecting to sit here in a year's time, ladies and gentlemen, saying, do you remember that girl we talked about? She died. And all because... She didn't want to help herself. You know, and, I mean, it's it, it's really... I, mean, I don't know what you can do. I don't... You know, we've, we've kind of gone to the end of the road, haven't we? We've kind of pulled into a cul-de-sac, and there's that one housing association house with no wall where they had to sort of pull it down to get her out. I mean, Tony reckons that people who neglect themselves of any type, fat included, the National Health should refuse treatment. I'm not sure if, they're, if they can operate on somebody who's that fat. I seem to remember... Doctors on somebody else who was vastly overweight said, listen, you need to lose about 10 stone before we can operate. Because it's pointless us operating, because they're they're, they're having to cut... To get to the problem, you're cutting through about three feet of fat. I mean, it'd be cheaper to go and harpoon whales. Not the country, the actual things that swim in the ocean. I mean, I don't... it's, it's, It's just a huge job. A, they've got to get her into the hospital. B... At 63 stone, who you think nurses are going to be able to lift her onto the operating table? Of course not. She can't walk. And what will happen is, because we've all got roughly the same size heart, hers has got the immense pressure of all the fat all over it. I mean, she must be just one seething blob. And, and that's the pressure that goes on. Of course she can't walk anywhere. She's carrying 63 stone. It's like walking around with a piano on your back. Can't be much fun. Wouldn't like to see her clogged arteries. If indeed she's actually got arteries, she's probably just got drain- drainage pipes now or something like that. But 63 stone, for God's sake, Georgia. I mean, pull yourself together. I don't like to have to preach to somebody who's 19. But, you know, at your funeral, they're going to be burying you in a piano case, as they had to do with the guy in America, because they didn't make a coffin big enough. And he was 50 stone, so they buried him in a piano case. That was the nearest thing that they got to it. How tragic. But, I mean, come on, for God's sake, pull yourself together. Try and have some self-respect. I really do have difficulty sympathising. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed that last hour. I'll be back at four tomorrow, and then for the rest of the week as well, you can get the extra gossip-filled podcast on the website for free. All the other podcasts are on the LBC website as well. Up next, I'll be in conversation with Tim Minchin and Jill Halfpenny. But first, the news at six. LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with the best of Steve Allen.